child and his dragon changed everything. He appeared one Tuesday morning, filthy, wandering Main Street as the fishermen were docking and the children were being escorted to school. He later told me that the dragon walked behind him, ripping up fences, destroying freshly cemented sidewalks, and even tearing off the petticoat of our heinous school teacher, Miss Taylor. When I heard about that last bit, I had to disguise my delight. Prissy Taylor is a bitter old maid who likes to suck the souls out of children and call it order. Just because her dreams died doesn't mean she has to kill everyone else's. No one could see this dragon, of course. No one but the child and, apparently, my father. Lampy ran into the boy and his dragon while headed to the pub, already half drunk. Ah! Good God! Frightened to his core, Lampy ran away into his alcoholic safe haven, immediately holding all the other drunk hostage with his feverish rant about a dragon. My dad is the pub mascot, pitied and reviled in turns, so the sailors and fishermen played along with his insanity. By the time I arrived to drag him out, everyone was raving about this invisible but very real dragon. As we walked home, Lampy wouldn't let it go. No, 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 Nora, I, I saw it! With my own two eyes, it, it was hideous, and, and you, you, you would have jumped out of your skin! I'm sure I would have, Dad. Let's get you into bed. With the light tonight, Nora. Be on the lookout. Don't let the dragon get you. No one's going to get me, Dad. I go outside to start prepping the evening light when I see something move on the beach below. It's a child heading into one of our caves. No Passamaquoddy kid would be reckless enough to play in there now at high tide. I march down, hoping there's someone's relation, but in the back of my mind I'm certain it's the child Lampy saw. The boy is unkempt, caked in mud, and clearly underfed. Without thinking, I introduce myself and offer him a bowl of our chowder back at home. He's hesitant to leave his dragon, and my heart swells with empathy. I understand how one could be so hungry for familiar comfort that they'd imagine monster escorts. I assure him the dragon would be fine. In our lighthouse, the child inhales an entire loaf of bread and two bowls of chowder. In between gulps, he tells me about his essential enslavement by a farming family that lived 30 miles out of town. This wasn't the first time I had heard of this happening. Poor farming families would adopt orphans as a means of free labor. Who's that? The child points to my framed picture of Paul. In it, he's wearing his best uniform flashing a comforting smile and looking upwards at the horizon. I often stared at the picture, sometimes wishing he was looking right into the camera so I could feel his gaze. Other times I was glad he was posed as perceived, rather than the perceiver. That's Paul. You're married? I almost was. Did he die? His ship was lost at sea over a year ago. I'll show this picture to my dragon. He can find anyone. The child grabs Paul's picture, clutching it to his chest, and starts to rush down the steps. I catch him by the back of his shirt. It's far too dark to go back into the caves. I'm going to prepare you a warm bath and set out some clean clothes. You're sleeping here tonight. You... You can show your dragon in the morning. All right? Don't worry, Miss Nora. My dragon can do anything. After the child washes himself, he dons one of Lampy's clean work shirts 
I tuck him into the trundle bed next to our stove. Can I sleep with the picture? I'm having such a nice time. I'm afraid I'll forget in the morning if it's not right next to me. And he tucks it in the bed, alongside his body. I wonder if this is what it would have been like if I'd had a child with Paul. We didn't dream of children the way most people did. I fear my father has stolen all my caretaking abilities. Many more years of mess and tears and chaos didn't appeal to me. But what if it were a child that was partly Paul's? What if Paul was a doting father instead of an absent one? Or, maybe even in his absence, a child that carried the legacy of his spirit could make life less lonely. This sweet child is not Paul's, but he is mine for tonight at least. He is asleep before I even blow out the lantern. I tiptoe up the stairs to my room, foolishly daydreaming of an invisible dragon finding Paul on a desert island, surviving like Robinson Crusoe. I begin to undress. Sitting on the bed, I unlace my boots and remove them. <sighs> I strip off my stockings, and my bare legs feel the stale, humid air in the bedroom. Barefoot, I walk to open the window. The wooden floor creaks underneath me. The night wind helps the wooden shades fly open, slapping against the brick column of this structure. The breeze encourages me to unbutton my waistcoat and skirts. I slip off my blouse as I look out to the tide, inviting the waves to hypnotize me. Give me a transcendental experience. Ascend my soul to a place where dragons can find lovers. I stand in the window in my underclothes, offering my body to the air and sea, and unpin my bun. Tiny tendril weaves its way up my neck, while another one wraps around my loose hair like a knot, pulling my head back. A third slithers under my legs, growing bigger and thicker until I can sit on the tentacle like a swing. The kraken is back, lifting me through my window and into the ocean. As I am cradled in the monster's arms, Another one of its tendrils adorns me with a seaweed crown. I am a goddess of monsters. In my grief, I have become the tamer of sea beasts. My achievement will ignite envy in all seafarers, including Paul. But Paul will also celebrate my resilience, honored to have a wife as a kraken conqueror. I reach my hand out to a free tentacle. It floats to me, and I kiss the tip graciously. I let the curious suction cups impress themselves on my breasts and belly, allowing it to move down and inside me. Another tentacle brings more seaweed to me, the queen of the kraken, draping it over my body like a quilt. It continues retrieving and draping until the seaweed is not a quilt, but a heavy shroud. More and more until I am buried in wet, leafy greenery. I am cradled in the kraken's arms. It is holding me inside and out. Its arms breathe at the pace of my heartbeat, then a little quicker and a little quicker. 
its arms squeeze and move in and around my body, I begin to shake. <sighs> I am thrown to the stars. I gasp for air as I soar through the clouds. I hover for a moment in heaven. I look God in his eyes, commanding him to bring Paul back. When I catch my breath, I am back on my bed, in my room. My eyes are still softly gazing above, toward the Holy Trinity, the wish granters. I peel myself off my sheets and float to the window. I say goodbye to the ocean and reach to close the shutters. I look towards the cave where I discovered the child and where his dragon sleeps. If you're real, please find him. Sometimes God feels as imaginary as a child's dragon, so I may as well pray to both, just in case one actually listens. <laughs>